Good morning. I want you to stand to your feet as we begin our time of worship this morning. Christ is our rock, our shield, our fortress. Let's sing about it this morning. Would you join me? salvation and my strength the courts of death they were surrounding me but he heard my cry for help. he is my refuge my high tower he's my deliverer so strong the snares of death, they were confronting me, but he heard my cry for help. So I stand in trust, I stand in faith, I will not be shaken. So I stand in trust, I stand. salvation and my strength the courts of death they were surrounding me but he heard my cry for so I stand in trust I stand in faith I will not be so I stand in trust, I stand in faith, and I will not be shaken. I God will not be moved. I God will never change. I God.
God will not be moved. Our God will never change. Our God will reign forevermore. Whoa. Our God will not be moved. Our God will never change. Our God will reign forevermore. Forevermore. Amen. You may be seated. such a delight to be with you this morning to actually get to share with you about yet another mission opportunity that we had from here at Pitts this summer. If you've been following along on the Pitts Facebook mission page, you know we've had a very busy summer. But today I'm here to talk to you about what happened in Saldotna, Alaska, the final week of June this year. To get to Saldotna, you fly into Anchorage, and then you have a long three-hour drive by van to get to the Solid Rock Bible Camp. These are the people that traveled there for you this summer. 13 people went. Last year was our first year going to Solid Rock, and we took a small team that actually just did construction work. This year, the team from Solid Rock asked us to bring three specific different skill sets with us. So this team was actually like three teams traveling as one. We had three women that worked in the kitchen. They had let us know that they were short-staffed. Imagine that. Everybody is. They were short-staffed and needed help cooking, and this was teen week at camp, and they were expecting hundreds of teenagers. So they need a lot of hands to cook. So we talk, took three women that could do that, but there will always be construction needs at Solid Rock. So they also needed three guys to come and help them on the construction team. In this picture, you'll see this red shed. It used to be a goat shed, and they were wanting to turn it into a nicer storage facility the weather was really not cooperating. It was about 50, 55 degrees in June and raining. So they moved that building inside their maintenance facility so they could give it a little bit of a facelift. But the main uh, event was actually Kevin Seeger took a team of six from our Epic Ministry to help work with the campers, the counselors, to walk alongside them, to shepherd them a little bit, um, and just support them. So let's talk a little bit about each of those three teams because these ladies were the all-important cooks. Now, if they weren't planning a meeting, uh, planning a, a meal, they were preparing it, they were serving it, they were cleaning up after it, and then they went on repeat three times a day, all week long. Now, as someone who does not cook, and the only time I spend in the kitchen is to walk through it to get to another room, I'm highly impressed by what these ladies did. There's one meal that they served 400 ham and cheese sandwiches for one meal. One day, they peeled 100 pounds of potatoes, 25 pounds of carrots, and my hat's off to them, so I think I would give them four stars. I think they worked harder than anybody on this trip. But here's our construction crew. So this is another building. It used to be a greenhouse. They had converted it to a storage facility. It was out in the weather, and uh, the roof had caved in to the heavy snow this winter. So when our guys got there, they asked us to take care of that building, and they did. They tore it down. And I'm really hoping that's what they meant by take care of that building. We didn't get a call, so I guess it's okay. They tore that building down. They also got a lot of new bunk beds for the workers' cabins. So if you decide to go to Solid Rock with us next summer, accommodations went up a little bit. We have brand new beds in the workers' cabin. Again, that main event was these young folks that went over there and just really impressed everyone. Here's Brennan Jones leading a Bible study. You saw in a previous picture, uh, Aaron was leading the praise and worship, and he just did a great job there. In the bottom corner, you'll see a bunch of canoes heading down the river. That's 
Josh Suggs, the day after they arrived at Solid Rock, Josh took off with a bunch of teenagers down the water to spend the week in wilderness camp. That means there's no accommodations. There's no restaurant. There's no bathroom. There's no shower. That's a hard no for me, but Josh said, my hat is off to you, man. That was good. He spent the whole week with teenagers in the middle of nowhere, and he actually got to take this photo. That's compliments of Josh, so they did have some beautiful sights while they were out. There's a word we use often when we're in missions, and it's called flexibility. Anybody that's been on a mission trip knows you have to be flexible because things change. You know, it doesn't always happen like you think it's going to. If we had an award to give out for that, it would have been Connor Maloney. He traveled with our guys and got over there and immediately was drafted as a camp counselor for the week. They had summer counselors that they had hired that were there all summer long, including two people from here at Pitts. But when they got there, they were short-staffed on counselors, so they drafted Connor. And I would say that he took it on the chin and just took one for the team, but actually I think he rather enjoyed it. Uh, here he is having dinner with one of the other fellow camp counselors that you might recognize, Jonah Edgerton, with his dad, Chris, who traveled with us for the week. There's a game that they play on the very last day. It's a tradition at Solid Rock that the campers and counselors play hide and seek. Counselors are hiding and the campers have to find them. And if they do, they toss them in the lake. Remember, it's 55 degrees, the sun's not shining. But you can see by the look on Connor's face, he didn't mind that at all. He took that like a champ, so good, good guy. Here's the biggest blessing of the week, though. I want you to see little Brennan. Don't confuse him with big Brennan Jones, also in this picture, and Kevin Seeger. Little Brennan invited Jesus into his heart that week. When we go on these trips, we pray that God will just, it just one, and he answered that prayer, at least just one. So we're very excited about little Brennan. Uh, now here are some of the things that Solid Rock offers. There's a runner's camp that was happening that week, and Chris and Melinda Edgerton were right in their wheelhouse leading those runners that week. Wilderness camp, where Josh took his uh, teenagers. Now this is what accommodations might look like, but I understand that that's actually the Hilton version. This is a tent on a piece of wood in the middle of the forest, and that's the Hilton version. So I'm not selling that very well for you, Josh, but maybe some other people will come to wilderness camp uh, next summer. Uh, the wagon train camp, that's really cool. Those are accommodations that actually the, the housing looks like a wagon train, which is neat. Um, the wilderness camp, by the way, is where Jonah Edgerton spent the majority of his summer, and Madeline Sessman from here at Pitt spent the most of her summer at the wagon train camp. And there's a lot more things to do at the camp, so young people, if you don't know yet what you want to do next summer, don't count Alaska out. There are worse places you could spend your summer. I mentioned that the weather wasn't really cooperating, about 50, 55 degrees, not sunshine, in fact, a little bit of rain, but on their final day, the clouds broke loose, the sun popped out, and they got to have that long drive back from um, Saldotna uh, all the way to Anchorage for their flight home. Beautiful weather, got to do some sightseeing, and this is at Flat Top Mountain. We're on a beautiful day, you can see all over Anchorage, and they just had a picture-perfect day for that. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you, this picture, I don't know if this is sunrise or sunset in Alaska, because in the summertime, they look exactly the same. The sun doesn't really set, it just kind of hits the horizon and then starts coming right back up again. But it's beautiful. Uh, pictures don't do it justice. You'll just have to take my word for it. And if you don't want to do that, then come next summer. We'd love to have you. And so, church, I just want to say thank you again. Thank you for praying for us when we're gone. Thank you for your financial contributions. Thank you for your support and encouragement. We absolutely could not do these trips without all of your help. Thank you. You know, there's a popular quote out there by American evangelist D.L. Moody. After looking back 
on years of ministry in his old age, he says, if I could relive my life, I would devote my entire ministry to reaching children for God. Well, good morning. Thank you so much for choosing to be with us in worship today. If you are a guest of ours, we please oh, ask you to please take one of the care cards. It's located there in the pew rack in front of you and fill in your information. We'd like to get some information in your hands and uh, just fill that in. And then also on the back of the care card is a place for all of us to fill in prayer requests. If you have a prayer need, we want to know about that too. And that's for everybody. So please take a moment to fill that in. As you leave this morning, there are two giving boxes on the walls on either side of the double doors, you leave the sanctuary. And so you can place those there and they'll make sure they get those to the right people. But again, thank you for being with us today. I do see a lot of uh, new faces today. So thank you for visiting with us and being a part in worship. Uh, if you have, uh, or we have been challenged to pray for our students. Uh, they've just started school. I think they've, some have started last week. We've had a, about a week and a half under our belts. There are names on a tree in the lobby. If you will go by... Uh, and get one of those. We're asking our church family to pray for these students by name. Um, my wife and I went by and got one of those last week and been praying for those folks. And we ask you to put it in a prominent spot, maybe in your Bible where you do your quiet time, but to, to have a, a prayer time for that person specifically and then get to know that person. Find out from the parents what are some specific things that maybe you could be praying about uh, for that young person. But if you've not done that yet, please go by. I know there's still some names available there. We have our new community group teacher slate available in the lobby this morning, and we'll be voting on that next Sunday. Thank you to all of our teachers who take time every week to prepare their lesson and do our community group lessons. If you're not involved with a community group, I would challenge you that now is a great time to start. September 3rd is our first Sunday for the new calendar year, and that is a place where you really meet people of your age going through some of the same issues you are, and we want to challenge you to be a part of that, where you can... Uh, ask questions and be a part of the Bible study. Corporate worship is great. We encourage that too. But being part of a small group is so important and vital to your life here at our church. So we want to encourage you to be a part of that. Those uh, are available back in the lobby and you can see the class structure and all that. But again, next Sunday we'll vote on those teachers. And then next Sunday we'll also have our quarterly continental breakfast in the core that begins at 830. So come a little early to church and come by there and grab some refreshments. Awana starts back this Wednesday evening, 823. We want you to be a part uh, with, your, with your students, a part of that. Just come a little early. It starts at 630. If you've not yet registered or know about that, just come a little bit early, and we'll get you plugged in for that. And then uh, adults can go to choir, right, Jonathan? Be a part of that. Or go to adult Bible study that starts around 645 over in the chapel. And so we want to encourage our stuff going on. There's also youth that night, too. So if you have older ones, please bring them also. This Saturday is Saturday of Hope. Breakfast begins at 8 o'clock. Please sign up in the foyer. We need to know how much to prepare for. So please go by and sign up on the sign-up sheet. We have on and off-campus projects, and we try to finish those by noon. So if you can come be a part of that, another great opportunity to get to know your church family to go out and do these projects. But please go by and sign up today so we know how much to fix for breakfast. And then you saw the uh, video, Impact Kids Clubs, 
are starting back at Fur Elementary and Pitt School, uh, Pitt School Road Elementary. Uh, if you want more information, there's a table in the lobby. We do need volunteers to do that. And you can see uh, Gene Sullivan back there for more information about that. But a great program here in our public schools. Kids, a lot of them are unchurched and they come to that club after school and hear the gospel. And we hear about decisions every year. So uh, go get some more information and be a part of that for local missions right here in our elementary schools. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. If you'll take just a moment to silence your heart before the Lord. Uh, you can pray silently the needs that you have, and then I'll pray out loud. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for another Sunday that you've given us to be in this place, to meet with your church family. And God, I pray that we would be challenged today from your word. We know Pastor Scott has prepared. He has a message uh, in the book of Mark today that he is going to speak. But God, we pray that you would speak through his mouth to our hearts, God, that we may be uh, able to hear something that you want to say to us. And God, that we would be willing to listen to your voice and do what you've asked us to do. God, we do pray for the needs that are represented in this room. You've already heard silent prayers uh, being made. And God, we pray you would give us wisdom in those situations uh, to know what we should do. And God, we pray today as we sing, as we listen, as we uh, are here with your uh, church family, God, that, that, we would, that, that this would be pleasing to you and that, God, you would um, be worshipped through all of it. Give us a good day today. Thank you, God, for all you do for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Our choir is going to begin, and then we'll ask you to join in just a moment. Tell Jesus all of my troubles. He is a kind, compassionate friend. If I but ask him, he will deliver. Make up my troubles quickly and end. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. Oh, how the I 
strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are still when striving cease my alone who took on flesh fullness of God in helpless faith this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied Here in the death of Christ I live Destiny, no power of hell, no scheme. 
people said amen Amen. I'm going to invite you one last time to turn with me in the gospel of Mark as we've been journeying through the shortest of the four gospels and Lord willing we are going to finish this series today Uh, today's message entitled it's not over it's not over Now, you'll notice we're only going down through verse 8 today, and there's a reason for that. Uh, Most conservative scholars today, in fact, just about all scholars today, are in virtual agreement that the Gospel of Mark ends at verse 8. I'm not going to include some of the technical aspects. I've written about a a three-and-a-half-page small little paper for you on this I put it this morning out on the welcome center you can get it as you leave I've only made about 70 copies if you don't get a copy email me and I'll email one to you but uh, uh, some of those technical aspects I'll leave for that but again most agree that the gospel of Mark ends at verse 8 actually there's four different proposed endings to the gospel of Mark Four, and most believe verse 8 ends. So we're going to do that today, and I'm going to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, and we'll read from verse 1 down through verse 8, Mark chapter 16. And you know, it's a shame that normally we only read these verses and go over them on Easter Sunday. Uh, but if you think about it, every, every day is like Easter Sunday in a Christian's life, because we celebrate the life of Christ, the resurrected life of Christ. Pick up reading with me in in verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us? From the entrance of the tomb. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen, he's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. That's the typical way Mark closes out scenes 
where people have seen displays of the majesty of God. Mark began his gospel very abruptly. He ends it very abruptly. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this gospel. God, I pray that as we have read through it and studied through it, that our souls have been enriched. God, you give us your word, not just so that we will hear it, but that we will hear it and put it into practice. God, every time we open your word, I pray that we would understand we're hearing your voice. You speak to us through your word. And God, I pray that we would be mindful, even diligent, to do that which we read. I pray for one this morning who may not know Christ, if there's even one, that today would be the day that your Holy Spirit would work on his or her heart and draw them to faith in Jesus, convicting them of their sin and their need of Christ. And God, for those who have already come to Christ, I do pray that we would live each day with the realization Jesus is with us. He lives. You have not left us as orphans. May we live in that victory each and every day. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. The year was 1994. It was a cool, crisp fall day. The University of Colorado was playing the University of Michigan. And both teams were undefeated. And both teams obviously were hoping to keep things that way. The game was being played at Michigan before 106,000 fans. Now, during the last two minutes of the game, Michigan scored a touchdown to go ahead of Colorado by four points. Colorado got the ball back with just one minute on the clock. They had 80 yards to go. A field goal wouldn't win the game for them. It had to be a touchdown. Two passes were incomplete. Now they had just six seconds left on the clock. It was time for a Hail Mary pass. The Colorado quarterback, Cordell Stewart, dropped back in the pocket and he let one sail for 60 yards. Both teams' players were bunched up in the end zone together. For all practical purposes, it seemed like the game was over. Because almost never do Hail Mary passes work. The percentage of success is actually very, very low for accomplishing a Hail Mary pass in the closing seconds of a game. And so 106,000 fans in the Michigan Stadium are already up on their feet. They are cheering that Michigan has won the game. 
but the ball is tipped from one Colorado player into the hands of another who catches it and lands in the end zone. Colorado has pulled off an amazing victory. The Michigan stand, uh, fans are stunned. They thought it was over. Folks, as we get into Mark chapter 16, the spirit of the text is that things seem to be over. This whole Jesus movement is now done so his enemies would have been thinking. Sure, his, his followers may continue to celebrate some of his life for maybe a few weeks or even months, but with their leader dead, surely this thing is going to soon fade away. Again, that's what they thought. Jesus' body had been hurriedly laid to rest in the tomb before the Sabbath began at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. There had not even been time to properly anoint his body with spices. Since they didn't embalm bodies the way the ancient Egyptians did or the way modern Europeans and Americans do, it was necessary to put spices between the folds of the burial garments to keep down the odor. And it was also done out of respect for the body, even after death. You see, in most civil societies today, and especially in societies with any type of Jewish or Christian background, we don't just simply throw a dead body away. We just don't throw it out on the curb for the trash truck to pick it up. A dead body is treated with respect and dignity. These ladies are going to the tomb after the Sabbath to perform what will be for them a labor of love. But I'm sure their tone, their mood is one of defeat. It's one of confusion. Uh, it's, it's one of fear. Because all of their hopes, it would seem, have been dashed to the ground. Now everything is just going to go back to the way it's always been. Again, so they thought. Folks, the resurrection of Christ reveals to us that death is not the end. It wasn't the end for Jesus. And because he was raised, for those in Christ, you too will be raised to enjoy eternal life with him. For those not in Christ, they will be raised, but they will be raised to eternal destruction in a place that the Bible calls hell. But for all of us, we're all raised after death. And for the Christian, the resurrection promises you and me that life is not over with the grave. We're going to have all eternity to spend with Christ in heaven. Because of his resurrection, you and I can experience not only redemption and the forgiveness of our sins, but we can experience eternal life as well. Again, folks, I think it's a shame that this is a passage that we only study, generally speaking, on Easter Sundays. Because again, this is what our faith is built on as Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 he said if Christ has not been raised from the dead you're still in your sins and your faith is in vain 
But praise God, he is risen. I want you to see with me, first of all, this morning, an anxious heart. An anxious heart. It says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? First of all, they were anxious to complete what should have already been done. As I mentioned a moment ago, Jesus' body was taken off the cross after 3 p.m. on Friday, and the Sabbath began at 6 p.m. The Gospel of John tells us that after Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus' body off the cross, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, that weighed a hundred pounds and Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea wrapped the body in linen put the spices in before they put the body in the tomb belonging to Joseph now the women who were followers of Christ had witnessed all of this but apparently the job was not complete yet Luke tells us that the women went back in a little bit of time that they had before 6 p.m. and they prepared more spices. And then Luke says they all rested on the Sabbath day as they were commanded in the scripture by God to do. Now with such an extensive job to do, it's only fitting that they would have waited until Sunday morning. Had they tried to start at 6 p.m. on Saturday evening... Darkness would have soon overtaken them. And so early on Sunday morning, about sunrise, these women get together and they journey to the tomb once again. They're anxious to finish what normally would have already been completed had they had sufficient time to do so. Folks, this is a labor of love, what these ladies are doing. It's a labor of love. Their love and devotion to the person of Christ continued even after they thought he was dead. But again, what a somber time this must have been. You, you know if you have ever gathered together clothes to take to a funeral home because one of your loved ones has died and you're the one in charge of making the arrangements, you know what their mood was like as you go home and you pick out clothing for the deceased and you get everything together and you're meeting with the funeral home people and you're taking them what they need. You know exactly what the mood of these women here in this text would have been. You've experienced that. Some of you recently. They were also anxious about the large rock that was placed in front of the door of the tomb. And Matthew tells us that in addition to the large stone that the enemies of Jesus have gone to Pilate and they've requested an official Roman guard to also be placed at the doorway of the tomb. I'm sure the ladies were anxious about all of this. 
And Mark does indeed tell us, there ain't, who's going to take care of this for us? This rock is large. This stone is large. Who in the world is going to help us move this out of the way so we can finish anointing the body? But folks, isn't it wonderful how a, li- a living, risen Lord has already taken care of the source of their anxieties? He's got it covered. Think about people today. People today are anxious in heart over many things. Some of you may be filled with anxiety over any number of things going on in your lives right now. A few of you may have anxiety over your guilt before God because you're not really certain that you have peace with God. Am I really forgiven of my sins? What if I were to die today? Where would I go? What would it be like to stand before God if today was the day that I passed away? A few of you may be anxious about that. Others may be anxious over something your children are facing this week. Maybe something that's coming up this week in your job. Uh, Others may be going through some type of family difficulty or marriage difficulty and you're anxious about how things are going to work out. Is everything going to be okay? You're anxious about so many things in life. And folks, let's face it, all of us all the time worry, don't we? We worry sometimes over things we don't even really need to be worried over. There's something about human nature, we're just anxious people. We worry about stuff. Am I going to have enough for tomorrow? Am I going to have enough for the future? Is my family going to be taken care of? We worry. We're anxious about all of these things. And folks, we need to realize that as God's children, we're in his hands and he's promised to take care of us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, or, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is, life, uh, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will, will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. He's promised to look after our daily needs. And for those worried about peace with God, the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.18, the just died for the unjust that he might bring us to God. If you're in Christ, you have the blessed assurance of your salvation. You have the blessed assurance of the forgiveness of your sins. You don't need to worry about that. He's taking care of that in his son. We don't have to go through life being anxious about everything. We can cast all care upon Him, for He cares for us. Folks, I think the fact that God had all this taken care of is just an illustration for us. If He had something this big taken care of, He can surely take care of the smaller issues in our lives. A second thing I want you to see with me, an astonishing discovery. 
It says, looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. This astonishing discovery here that the tomb is open. Unknown to these ladies, something miraculously has transpired in the early morning hours before they arrive there. We're not told all the details of exactly how the resurrection happened, only that it did. And these ladies get there and they find the tomb open. And not only an open tomb, But very good news is that it is an empty tomb. The recent occupant was gone. Jesus was not there anymore. They had watched him, his body be laid there. And now he's gone. And the tomb is is open and empty. You know, unbelievers and skeptics down through the ages have proposed some foolish arguments to try to explain away what they think might have happened. You've probably heard about the swoon theory. Skeptics used to say that Jesus was falsely believed to be dead and in the coolness of the tomb he simply revived and came forth and he convinced everybody that he had risen from the dead. But folks, that ignores the fact that none of the ancient authorities, not even the enemies of Christ, ever believed anything other than the fact that he was indeed dead. There was the wound of the centurion and it produced both blood and water, evidence of death, because the blood has separated into its constituent elements. There's the testimony of the centurion, a a man trained in administering death, who proclaimed that he was dead. There are the grave clothes. The Jews wrapped corpses in grave clothes between the folds would place up to hundreds of pounds of spices. The head would also be tightly wrapped. The person would look essentially like a mummy. Now I want you to suppose with me for a moment, Jesus, who had been crucified, could have gotten out of the grave clothes. He'd then have to go over to the large stone with hands that had been pierced by large nails, place them on the flat inside of a large rock that was set down inside of a channel, roll it uphill out of its track and out of the way. Then he would have had to have faced off with the Roman guard. He would have had to have overcome this Roman guard by sheer force. And all of this for a man who's just been crucified. And then he would have walked 14 miles to Emmaus and back that afternoon on feet that had also been nailed to the cross. David Strauss, himself an unbeliever, calls the swoon theory absolutely absurd. He wrote, it is impossible that one who had just come from the grave half dead, who stood in need of medical treatment and tender care, could ever have given to the disciples the impression that he was a conqueror over death and the grave. And again, that's coming from the lips of a skeptic. 
Then there's the ridiculous theory that the enemies of Christ stole the body. If this were the case, when the disciples of Jesus began preaching the resurrection, all the enemies who stole the body would have had to have done was simply produce the body. Furthermore, this theory would not explain the actual witnesses either. Akin to this is the theory that the disciples stole the body. But the disciples, remember, almost to a man with the exception of John, ended up dying horrible deaths because of their preaching of the resurrection. Somebody might live for a lie, but they're certainly not going to die for what they know to be a lie. Then there's been the theory that that maybe the resurrection was only a, a group hallucination by men and women who so wanted it to be that they imagined it to the point to the fact that they began hallucinating it. If that were so though, how do you account for the women who went to the tomb fully expecting to anoint a dead body? They were grieving his death. Mary was grieving, thinking somebody had stolen the body. She was not expecting what she saw next. And how do we account for the unbelief of the disciples in the upper room? They were not expecting a risen Lord either. They had not taught themselves into believing something or seeing visions or hallucinations of something. And also in the history of hallucinations, never do 500 different people all see the same thing at the same time as Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 15. And furthermore, if they were only proclaiming their hallucinations, their enemies could have gone back to the tomb and produced a dead body. Maybe you've also heard of the twin brother theory in 1995 in a debate with Christian apologist William Lane Craig, philosopher Robert Gregg Cavan argued this theory. He tried to say that Jesus had an identical twin brother separated at birth. And then upon Jesus' death, the twin brother stole the body out of the tomb. And he concocted the resurrection so that he could do this big scam and profit from it. Man, what an imagination. The Jehovah Witnesses, among others, try to argue that the resurrection was only a spiritual resurrection. Jesus' body was still dead, only his spirit was raised. Folks, the Apostle Paul, though, again, remember, he went to great lengths to point out to the Corinthians that Jesus was raised bodily. It was not simply a spiritual resurrection. Plus, Jesus told his disciples in the upper room after his his resurrection, place your hands in my scars. And he also ate in front of them, showing that he was not simply a ghost or a phantom. Then, of course, there are Muslims today who who uh, say that at the last moment, Allah didn't allow Jesus to die on the cross and he substituted somebody else in. And he substituted somebody else in who looked just like Jesus. But they don't agree with who the substitute was. Maybe it was Judas, maybe it was Pilate, maybe it was Simon of Cyrene, or maybe even some other disciple of Jesus. On and on we could go with these ridiculous theories of the skeptics.
But folks, let's think about some things a moment. Showing evidence of the validity of what happened that resurrection morning. I've given these to you on your study notes page. There's the fact of the Lord's day. The Hebrews, remember, held tenaciously for thousands of years to the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, because that's what God had commanded, that they would observe the Sabbath. And then suddenly after the resurrection, you have a group of Hebrews, because Jews made up, they were the early church primarily before Gentiles started being one. Here you have this group of Jews all of a sudden changing their day of worship from the Sabbath to Sunday, the Lord's Day. What would account for this? Something had to account for it. Then there's Easter itself, which replaced essentially the Jewish holiday of Passover for many. The celebration of Easter as Christ's resurrection can be traced all the way back to the early church. For that first group of Jewish Christians, it It replaced Passover, which had been one of their most sacred religious holidays. Again, there had to be a reason for this. Then there's Christian art in the catacombs underneath Rome. From the hands of some of the first persecuted Christians, we find carved into the walls, the stone walls there, depictions of Christ's resurrection. There's Christian hymnody. Hymns were sung in the early church about the resurrection then there's the church itself William Barclay New Testament scholar says to him by far the greatest evidence for the resurrection is the existence of the church itself he says how did the largest institution known to man come into being what accounts for the church like somebody once said the Grand Canyon didn't happen as a result of a Native American Indian simply dragging a stick. Something big had to account for the Grand Canyon. Something big had to account for the church. Then there's the apostles themselves. So timid before. And yet so bold in the book of Acts. Simon Peter, who had been timid in the presence of a little maiden girl at the rest, arrest of Jesus in the book of Acts, he's standing before the powerful authorities and he's challenging them. And again, these men died for their belief in a Savior who was risen. Then there's the transformation of the Apostle Paul. I want you to remember Paul had been Rabbi Saul. He was a persecutor of the early Christians. He did not believe in Jesus. He was trying to stamp out this new Christian movement. And then God saves him. And one of the greatest persecutors of the church became one of the greatest proclaimers of the good news of Christ. Again, folks, you take all of these things together. What do they point to? They point to the fact that there is no good reason whatsoever to doubt the testimony of this angel here. This angel who says, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. 
No good reason to doubt that whatsoever. And then thirdly, I want you to notice with me an amazing message. Look at verse 6. He said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Look at verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. In the Greek text that points out, he has been raised, passive. In other words, the Father has raised him. Folks, what an amazing message this is to these ladies. It's no wonder that all of the gospel accounts record the resurrection because the resurrection is not some type of of tag on at the end. It's not just some type of mere footnote. The resurrection is the essence of Christianity. It's the main event. You know, the teachings of Jesus are wonderful. The miracles are wonderful. But without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the teachings and the miracles of Jesus would simply have faded into the background and ended up being nothing more than a chapter in the life of the world's great men. But Jesus isn't just a a great man. He's the living Lord. The greatest life ever lived is the life of the Lord Jesus. The greatest event in his life was the resurrection. And so that makes the resurrection the greatest event in the history of all existence. And that's no exaggerated statement. You can't overestimate the importance of the resurrection. Again, as Paul said to the Corinthians, if Christ be not raised from the dead, you're still in your sins. Folks, Jesus is not simply a memory. He's a living presence. He's alive. Why is this message so amazing? Because everything in our Christian hope is tied up with it. The message of the resurrection should still be just as amazing to us today as it was amazing to these ladies. Now notice with this amazing message, there's also an astonishing announcement. Look at verse 7 and 8. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. They were giving a new assignment here. They were going to the tomb thinking they had one assignment. To finish anointing a body, a dead body with spices. But because Jesus is alive, they've got a new assignment now. They've got good news to proclaim. In fact, not just good news, great news, the the best news of all. And they are to go and tell Peter and his disciples... What's happened here was not to be a secret. And folks, because he lives, the Bible says you and I today are to continue to go into all the world and make disciples and tell people the good news about Jesus. And you got to love the fact here that the angel says, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Because remember Peter? 
What has Peter just done? Denied Christ three times before uh, the rooster crow twice. Peter, you got to imagine, he's feeling pretty downcast. He's probably wondering, is God done with me? The angel says, make sure you tell Peter as well. The message to Peter would be, Peter, Christ is not done with you. He wanted Peter to know that all was not lost. Peter was forgiven of his denials. And so he too, along with the other disciples, is commissioned. In fact, Jesus even told him he was going to be given keys. And Peter would take those keys on the day of Pentecost preaching Jesus. And he would unlock the kingdom, so to speak, to the Jews. And then again in Acts chapter 10 with a bunch of Gentiles gathered together. There Peter is using those keys again. And he's unlocking the kingdom, so to speak, to Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. God used Simon Peter initially to get the message out about the crucified and risen Lord Jesus. God was not done with Simon Peter. Simon Peter wasn't going to have just a small little role in the mission of the church. He would have a very important role. He was forgiven. Such wonderful news they had to tell. Now folks, in closing today, I want to wrap up by reminding you what the resurrection of Christ does for us Lesson number one, it proves the truthfulness of the Word of God. And this was Peter's point on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, verses 25 and following, Simon Peter is quoting from Psalm 16, a psalm of David. And just listen to what he says. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo go decay you have made known to me the the ways of life you will make full the gladness with your presence now don't miss Peter's point Peter is saying that God was prophesying through King David hundreds of years before the time of Christ that the Christ would be raised he goes on to say there in Acts Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven but he himself says the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for 
for your feet. Folks, God promised and prophesied this very event of the resurrection of the Messiah. God keeps his word. God's word is true. The resurrection of Christ shows us that. Secondly, it proves the deity of the Son of God. We've had many other proofs of his deity through the Gospels. But his resurrection also proves the deity. You see, it's God's testimony to the deity of his Son. In the New Testament, remember, there's already been many who have testified about Christ's deity. Remember in Mark chapter 5, even the demons confessed that they knew who Jesus was. That he was the Son of the living God. Peter and the disciples also proclaimed the deity of Christ. When Christ said, who do men say that I am? Peter and the disciples said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. John the Baptist, in seeing Jesus, pointed his disciples to Jesus that they would now leave him, start following Jesus. John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Even the Roman centurion at the death of Christ, remember what his confession was? Surely this man was the Son of God. All of these wonderful testimonies to the identity of Jesus. But Romans chapter 1 and verse 4 says that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's testimony. Paul says to the Romans, Jesus who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection was God's vindication of everything that Jesus had said about himself. Thirdly, it completes our salvation. Romans 4.25 says, He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. The resurrection completes the cycle that the cross points to. At the cross, Jesus died for our sin. But because he was sinless... When he died for our sin, the Bible says that God looked at his sacrifice and was pleased with it. And the grave cannot hold a sinless man. Because again, the wages of sin is death. But Christ was perfect. God raised his son from the dead to give us eternal life. Showing that he had fully accepted the sacrifice that his son had made. And so the resurrection shows that the cross satisfied God's justice. Fourthly, the resurrection warns us that we have a judge. In Acts 17, there at Athens, Paul wraps up his sermon there by saying, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Folks, you can't hold court if the judge is dead. 
But because of the resurrection, court is in session. The judge is alive. And because he's alive, we're reminded in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that one day we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. The resurrection reminds us there's a judge and there's a judgment day coming. And then lastly, it communicates to the church the heart of its mission. Folks, we don't gather together here every Sunday. We don't go to places like Alaska that you saw in the mission report today. We don't go to places like that and, and just talk about a dead man. We proclaim a living Savior who's able to forgive us and reconcile us with a holy God. Is it any wonder that we celebrate the resurrection? What is it that we sing together? Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, what? All fear is gone. I wonder today, is there anyone here who needs to say right now, God, I believe, forgive me. Live your life in and through me. Help me to be a witness of your life. Help me to be a witness of your saving power. Be my Lord from this moment forward. You are Lord, but be the Lord of my life. I surrender everything to you. If you've looked to Christ and Christ alone today to be your Savior, remember what the Bible says. You need to tell people about that. You need to be a witness of it. I want others to remember today that he lives. And because he lives, he knows everything about your life. He knows your needs. He knows your pains and hurts. He knows your sin. Is there a decision you need to make today to start trusting him even over the smallest details of your life? He's alive. Trust him. You're not alone. Remember also today, you have a mission and I have a mission because of the resurrection. There is no way that a disciple of Christ who believes that he lives is supposed to be neutral or silent or uninvolved as to that fact. It is a life-changing message. The risen Lord has given to us and he has said to us, go and tell. Are there people in your life that you need to go to and you need to tell them? Because they need to know there's a Savior who died for them. And who was raised from the dead. And in him and him alone they can have eternal life and they can have hope. Who needs for you to tell them that message? I guarantee you there's people in your life that you need to be a Christian witness to. The question is, will we be? Will we be? Father, I thank you that as we come to Mark chapter 16, it's not over. It's not over. 
And I love the way the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of uh, uh, the, the Book of Acts are joined together by the same writer, Luke. Luke says this, this is the beginning of the account, and then then the book of Acts, he says, this is the continuing account. In other words, the book of Acts shows how the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything and how the church began to go. First of all, to a Jewish world and then to a Gentile world. And, and, and they went with this life-changing message. And God, we have the same honor and privilege today to be your servants and go in your name. God, help us not to be silent about the greatest news the world could ever hear. And God, thank you that we're not alone. You live. Lord, remind that person here this morning who may be hurting about something. They may be lonely. They may be going through something big in their life. They're not alone. You live. And they can indeed cast that care upon you because you care for them. Lord, may they go to you with the worries in their daily life. I pray for that one this morning who needs to come to Christ. Lord, we're not promised another day. It's no wonder the Bible says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Lord, may they come to you today. Lord, as we leave this place today, I pray, God, that we would live our lives with the moment-by-moment realization that you're with us and that everything we do in life, we do before your gaze. May it change the way that we conduct ourselves. For it's in Christ's name that we pray.